Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. Exodus chapter three, verse one. And uh, we got a lot to do, a lot of ground to cover. We're gonna read a lot of scripture, um, but I want you to see, I want you to see the story. So uh, where we left off, uh, if you remember, Moses is in Midian. Uh, so he was on this war path for, for justice. And so remember, he's an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian, smells like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian, right? Uh, what else could we say? He's an Egyptian. And he goes out and he observes an Egyptian beaten on a Hebrew, a slave, and uh, saw the injustice ends up killing the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Then the next day, we don't know how much time has elapsed. This is the narrator kind of depicting the story, right? Then the next day, Moses sees two Hebrews going at it. And he says to the two Hebrews, what are you doing? Why are you fighting each other? You're on the same team. We're all in this together. And they look at him and they go, what the heck are you talking about? You're an Egyptian. <laughs> like, we're the Hebrews, you're the Egyptian, you're the one living in the palace, walk on. And Moses reveals that he's having this internal struggle. The fact that he doesn't want to be an Egyptian anymore. And so, like we had discussed, there's often an internal transformation that happens first. When the Lord calls us, he calls us out of our situation. We were all twofold the children of wrath is what Paul said. What does that mean? It means we were all unsaved. We were all in our sin. We were like lost. You know, we, we use that term as Christians. We were lost, waiting to be found. And so uh, the first thing that needs to happen isn't outward transformation, it's inward transformation. That's why religion is not good from that perspective. Religion forces people to change the outside before the inside has ever changed. We don't want a religion here at Bethlehem. We want a relationship. A relationship speaks to the heart first. And then you experience heart change. And then if the outward changes with it, God bless you. Let that happen as it may, as the Lord and his grace permeates your life, then, then change. Do whatever he wants you to do. But to force an outward set of rules onto someone before a transformation happens on the inside, what you're doing is you're having them exchange one mask for another. It's not good. So we see this happening in Moses' life, right? We see Moses going through this inward transformation. So what does he do? He runs. He runs from Egypt. And he uh, finds himself, if you think Egypt's up here, you know, crossing bodies of water and such, and he ends up at this um, community well. Right? These wells were things that communities were built around because they're in the desert. Uh, and so he goes to this well to get some water. And what happens, there are these seven daughters that are 
there to, to water their flocks and to get some water. And what happens? These shepherds start taking advantage of them. Moses steps up once again on a path he doesn't know, but he has this internal desire to see justice happen. And so he, you know, pulls out his jujitsu and he whips up on these shepherds, chases them off, and he ends up helping these, these seven daughters of the priest of Midian get their water and, and waters their flocks. And they leave and go home and they meet the, their father, Jethro, who has like three names. It's like Jethro, the priest of Midian, or Ruach. So there's like three names that this guy has. Uh, but it's the same guy, I think. I uh, could be wrong, but I think it's the same guy. And they start telling him the story. Yeah, there's this dude, this Egyptian at the well. And these shepherds were taking advantage of us, and they were going to try to hurt us. And he steps up, and he whips their tails, sends them on their way, and helps us water our flock. And he's like, what is this? He's, <laughs> you left him at the well? This guy was strong enough to fight off all these other shepherds, helps you water the flocks, and you repay him by saying, have a nice day? Go get him. So they go and they find him. And Jethro, I mean, think what Jethro's thinking. I got all these daughters, you know what I mean? Like, might as well make themselves useful. And so he marries one of them off and says, here, Moses, take this one. Uh, Her name, Zipporah, means bird. It's interesting. It's just what it means. But um, they have a son, Gershom. The alien in a strange land, essentially, it means that Moses is still searching for his identity. And so he, he walks through uh, this new family. And, and, and we kind of learned that this other family from the book of Numbers, a few books later, uh, Midian is this place where five different kind of families made an alliance. And so Jethro was one of five other family units. We don't know uh, if they served Yahweh. It says he's the priest of Midian, but it doesn't say that he was the priest of Midian for Yahweh. In fact, and this is the, really the crux of today's message, Yahweh's name is not mentioned yet. Moses is still searching and seeking out his identity. He doesn't necessarily know the God of Israel. He knows he has Hebrew roots, but he's making a transition from the Egyptian pantheon of gods to the God of Israel. And so what we know is that Midian is, we'll call it a neutral ground. He's in a neutral place where he can then discover for himself who God is. He's in a safe place. You know, I think like there's a lot of young people today that are searching that are wondering, that are looking for God internally. Maybe you've walked through some things like Moses has. Maybe you're going in your own heart, like I know some of the things I'm seeing are not right, but I wonder if you're in a safe place to search. I wonder if your household is a safe place for you to discover and learn. I wonder how many young people today, if they were just in a home where mom and dad were a safe place to discuss and learn and grow, rather than forcing something or demanding something, are our churches safe places for people to discover and develop and then deploy into these things that God has for them? Or... Is it, you fake it until you make it? I know what I experienced growing up. It was, this is what it is. And I'm not saying that's all bad. 
I'm just saying maybe we wouldn't have the turnover that we have if we created more of a safe place for people to find the Lord. Moses needed a season in that transition where he was seeking his identity. Look, you think we got our identity nailed down all the time? (laughs) Often we're saying, this is who I am on the outward because on the inside we're going, who am I? Because we're scared. (laughs) A very few percentage of folks and followers of Jesus have got it all nailed down. And the ones who do, aren't really the vocal, they're not really the ones vocal about it. They just are steady and faithful. Chances are the, the louder someone is about something, the more trouble they're having with it, in my experience. But he finds a safe place in Midian. And not only, once again, we're going to see, not only is it a safe place, it's a place that God is going to use. Guess what? In the land of Midian is this place, this mountain, called the Mountain of God, where Moses is uh, Mount Horeb, where he is serving as a shepherd, God reveals that in that mountain is where he wants to bring the Israelites back to. And so remember, Abraham, when he was offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, what we learned is that mountain where he would willingly sacrifice his son would be the very place that the temple would be built which would carry out the ceremonial sacrifices for the nation of Israel for millennia. What am I getting at? I'm getting at the place where you find and meet God and where you do business with God. If you don't figure it out, there are going to be others that come behind you that won't figure it out either. That place that you need to find the Lord and that you need to find victory, it's imperative for you to find him, not just for you, but for what? For everybody else God wants to use you to reach. Before God ever meets with the children of Israel and gives them the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, guess who he meets there first? Just Moses by himself. Where the Lord is bringing you to, he's preparing you. And that's what we're watching. That's where, that's where we pick up the story. Uh, Exodus chapter three, verse one. Read with me. We're gonna read a lot of scripture. You ready? Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire and was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Has anybody heard of the burning bush experience? That's what we're talking about today. Moses is in the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. He sees this burning bush. He says, I got to go investigate. I'd be like, I'm leaving you. I don't know what that's all about. (laughs) Scared. Verse number four. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to Moses from the bush. Moses, Moses. It's the same way when he called Samuel, when he called David, When he called Abraham, Abraham, he always calls her name twice. I think that's funny. Moses, when God calls him twice, he says, here am I. Same answer that Samuel gave. He answered, do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses. There it is, messing it up, Robinson. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, there we go. And the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is something that's lost in translation. 
a lot of this passage is lost in translation. I'm going to try to reveal it to you. Uh, God is not his name. God is an office or a title. The word God, the word behind God in what we would call Hebrew or Greek, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the uh, Old Testament, the, the word is Elohim. Elohim means God or spiritual being. So it's, it's, not, it's not saying Yahweh specifically. It's saying, I'm the God of. I'm the Elohim or the spiritual supernatural being of Abraham. It's an office. It's like saying, I'm the president of the United States. Is it Joe Biden or is it Donald Trump or is it George Washington, right? The office is what? What's the office? Oh my God, y'all, y'all done fell asleep. We're, we're like going to school. We're reading scripture. Oh my goodness, just give me the points and let us get out of here, pastor. Look, we got a long road to hoe. It's 1143. Let's engage, okay? <laughs> the office is president. We need a little humor, don't we? So you t- I'm going to mimic the president and you tell me who it is, okay? Who is that? Who is that? You win, Joe Biden. <laughs> French fries for everyone. Who is it? Huh? Trump, the Donald. Listen, everyone should have been in Ohio. The whole country should have been in Ohio. Everyone, here am I. Anyway, uh, Trump. We know. But there's a difference between saying, uh, I'm just having fun. That's all it is. There's a difference between saying he's our president and President Biden. One is in office. The president of our country should be a leader. He, he should be someone that steps in the gap, right? That's a statement about the office and how whoever is in that office should step up to the plate, right? Does that make sense? That has nothing to do with politics. I'm not, I'm, I'm giving you an example. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're down here in the conservative belly of the county. All right. My, my, my point is, how's it going, wasn't it? <laughs> um, not everyone shares your points of view. It's okay. So, you, so it's an office, right? But when we talk about him as a person, his name is President Biden. We can, we can now delineate that we're talking about a specific person and how he handles it. When God is, when, when Moses and God are having this encounter, I'm the God of, I'm the Elohim. I am the supernatural being that your forefathers followed. I hold the office. The Elohim in Egypt is Ra, the sun God. The God of Egypt would be, one would be Ra, right? Uh, that's, that's his specific name in that specific role. But Yahweh is the name of the God of Israel. Does that make sense? When we read it in English, and sometimes when you pray, we pray, God, would you, what we're saying is, the office of God, will you, it really doesn't translate. When we say Jesus, we're talking about someone specific, right? Anyway. So we're addressing him as the, why is this important? Because the narrator is building up to something. He's up to something. Let's watch what he's up to. All right, so God called out. The Elohim, the God that is behind that voice called out of this burning bush experience. 
He's the God of Abraham. Isaac is starting to, to narrow. Verse seven, then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. This is incredible. I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land that is, and to bring them uh, from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and the unfortunate termites of Bethlehem Church. <laughs> so because the Israelites cry out for help, uh, their cry for help has come up to me, and I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Are you seeing this? Are you getting it? God is hearing them. He's seeing the same thing that Pharaoh's daughter, she heard him, she saw him, she did something about it. Now God is letting Moses in that he's been there the whole time. Therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 12, he answered, I will certainly be with you. Oh my goodness gracious. And this will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Did you see that? At this mountain. You're gonna come back here. That's, that's crazy awesome. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent uh, me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, what I'm saying to you is that up to this point, Moses had not had a specific encounter where God revealed his name to him. And he's asking that. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is an echo, right, from what we're going to experience in the same uh, letter that John wrote to the churches. The one who was and is and is to come. This is the ancient of days figure. This is like the same God. You see it? I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, I love Moses is going to have every excuse in the book. You're about to see it all real quick. I mean, he's like a seventh grader. At this, at this exchange, Moses is literally like a junior high. Oh, but God, no. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think I have like a couple of six-year-olds that are going on seventh grade. You know what I mean? When you tell these kids to go do something, that's like, go clean your room. <laughs> it's like, what is all that? You know what I mean? Like the reaction to, it's, it would have been less energy for you to literally just go clean your room than to do every, <laughs> all that right there. That was enough to pick up three toys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like don't waste all that energy. Moses is going to have all kinds of excuses here. But, but God, what? Uh, you want me to go back to Pharaoh? Yes. Before God ever tells him to Pharaoh to let his people go, Moses has to first go. Moses, look, and what we're seeing through his life, God is not going to expect something different from you than he has from others. Likewise, from the person that you think like, man, that person really needs God. They just really need, you know, it's like the one person who attends church who thinks everybody else should attend church, but they don't really have to attend church. <laughs> You know who I'm talking about? 
we all know who that person is, but they don't know who they are, unfortunately, because <laughs> they just think church is for everybody else except them. Um, but it's like God doesn't call you to go through something different and then somebody else to go through something different. He's got the same path. It's humility, right? It's, it's a relationship, and he has that for all of us. But Moses is going to give every excuse in the book. It's funny. So let's keep reading. Verse 14. Y'all all right with reading a little scripture? I thought about it this week. I was like, that's a lot of scripture to read. Maybe we shouldn't do that. And then I'm like, no, we can read some scripture. Probably a bad decision, huh, wasn't it? <laughs> let's go back. Verse 14. God replied to, to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said also to Moses, so uh, say this to the Israelites. Now, here it is. This is what's masked here in the text. We see the Lord uh, because that's what the translators have, have chosen to do and chosen to write. It's a long story why they chose to do that. But I think we think of Lord as a title, like God, right? We think of it like, and, and even like Abraham was called Lord. Sarah even called him Lord. My, I make my wife call me Lord. As soon as we enter the house, I say, now, uh, uh, no. <laughs> Lord, you may enter. <laughs> yes, yes, here I am. I make my children go get my cloak, and they put it on me, and they tie it. Ross cleans my feet as I walk in. No. <laughs> Aren't you glad we live in this culture where everybody's the same? I love it. This is how it should be. Some of y'all men are like, no, no, that sounded really good for a second there. <laughs> uh, I get it. No, <laughs> but uh, we think of Lord sometimes as that title, but it's not. The word, the Lord, is actually his name. And that name is Yahweh, the Tetragrammatron. It's, it's this uh, Y-A-W-E-H, no vowels in the Hebrew word, so Y-H-W-H. Yahweh is how we say it. So really, what, it, what we see in verse 15, the Lord, the God of the ancestors, the Lord is actually, if you have an interlinear Bible, what you'll see there uh, is the word Yahweh. It's his name. He, he says, Moses, uh, you go tell him the I am, the one who's always been, has sent you to do this. Well, what if they ask God, what's your name? God says, Yahweh, Yahweh the God of Abraham. I was Yahweh to Abraham. I was Yahweh to Isaac. I was Yahweh to Jacob and Yahweh to Joseph. And now someone else has an opportunity to have a relationship with Yahweh. Keep going. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every what? I don't know why we changed that. It's just kind of weird, but verse 16. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and what has been done in Egypt. I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 18, they will listen to what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, his name, there it is again, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go, even under force from a strong hand. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the miracles uh, that I will perform in it, after that he will let you go. 
I will give these people such favor with the Egyptians that when, when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Remember Abraham left Egypt with all the plunder, which you're gonna see. Each woman, verse 22, will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. You will put them on your sons and daughters and you will plunder the Egyptians. Same story, reenactment. Verse one in chapter four, it doesn't stop. And this is where the chapter divisions get a little wonky. Moses answered, this is the same conversation. Do you see it? Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord asked me, what is that in your hand? This is where I'd have been like, shh. I mean, maybe I could have handled the burning bush experience, but what's about to happen? I'd have been outsies. You know what I'm saying? Look what happens. The Lord says, what's that in your hand? Remember, Moses was a shepherd. And the Lord, or uh, Moses replied, it's a staff. Verse three, throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and ran from it. I'd have been like, okay, all right. What if, listen, what if they don't believe me? God's like, take your staff and throw it on the ground. I'd have been like, all right, God, we're good. We're good here. Nothing more. We're, how many love snakes? How many love them? Weirdos, get out, get out. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Hang out, hang on, don't leave. <laughs> That's really weird though. No, <laughs> I know some people like them. Some people like them. Uh, I'm terrified of them, literally terrified. And I know I swim in water that has them in it. And just that thought, I'm, I, we're selling the boat. No, <laughs> I, I'm really scared of snakes. I don't like them. But, but he throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. Verse number five, this will take place, he continued. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, I skipped ahead. Verse number four, the Lord told Moses, <laughs> it gets better, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. <laughs> So he stretches out his hand and catches it and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that if they believe that the Lord your God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hath appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said, oh wait, there's what? There's more. <laughs> in addition, he said, put your hand inside your cloak. I'd have been terrified at that point. What am I about to pull out? God says, hey Moses, take your hand, put it inside your jacket. <laughs> so he puts it in there. And he pulls out his hand, and what's it say? It resembled snow. It was diseased. Verse number seven, put your hand back inside your cloak. And he did. And uh, when he took it out, he had again become like, it had again become like the rest of his skin. Verse number eight, if they will not believe you and will respond to the evidence of the first sign, the snake, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe these two or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground. The water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently since you have been speaking to your servant <laughs> because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. I feel that. The Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? It is not I, the Lord. Is it not I? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Verse 13, Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. I'd have been like, look, keep, keep that heat in the bush. You know what I'm saying. Don't be coming over here up against me. I'd have been scared. But Moses was still pushing back. The Lord's anger was burned. Isn't Aaron on the, on the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, he's on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help you. I will help both you and him uh, speak, and I will teach you both what to do. 
He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand, and you will perform the signs with. Look, that's the story. It's pretty wild, isn't it? It's pretty wild. This is the burning bush story. A few things that I I just want to point out, and then I'm going to talk about Moses' questions. Then we're going to take communion. Then we're going to sing a song before we go home. I got this song that's been on my mind and on my heart all week. So we're going to sing that, and then we're going to go home and eat. And we're going to do all of that in 30 minutes. Just kidding, 15. It's only 11.59. We're doing great. Some things that I think are so interesting about this story. God is always working. Do you see that? Do you sense that? So the narrator, the same one that's narrating the book of Genesis, is narrating here in Exodus. Remember when mankind messes up and they're driven from the Garden of Eden? Do you remember that? We've talked about it in here. What does God put at the entrance of the garden to keep people from entering into the garden? He puts angels, and then he puts a flaming sword. It doesn't necessarily say that the angels are holding the flaming sword. It says there's cherubim, and there's a sword there that's flaming. And it says that that's to keep them from eating of the tree of life, because if they eat of the tree of life while they're in their sinful state and they live forever like that, That's not something that can be undone. So the Lord protects them. But here's what I see. Remember, the garden and mountains are both temple imagery in ancient Near East. So what the Garden of Eden was is Exodus, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai's mountaintop experience. Where where the relationship was broken because of sin, God is now introducing a new way for relationship to happen again. Every time that we mess up and we're driven from relationship, God is constantly working to open up that door again. It is absolutely significant that the tree of life is something that God was protecting them with a flaming sword, and then God shows up in a mountaintop experience, which is equivalent to a garden experience in the ancient Near East, and he's in a flaming tree or a flaming bush. And then he says to Moses, The place where you're standing is what? Holy ground. Eden is the place where man walked with God in the cool of the day. Eden is the place where heaven and earth overlapped. It's the place where if you're in the Garden of Eden, you see the spiritual beings. You see the unseen like it's right here, right now. There there is a place that God created where communion happens with the unseen as well as the seen. And if we step into the garden, it is another dimension where we're like, oh my goodness, I can see the angels. I can see the Elohim. I can see Yahweh. And we can talk and we can interact. What sin drove us from this, the narrator's putting this together. He's saying, Moses, what I'm doing right now, what we're on the cusp of, is allowing Eden to happen again. That's what Sinai is going to be. Mount Sinai will be the new Eden experience. We have a God that just doesn't live outside of time and live in the heavenlies and then demands his, the peasantry to just follow him and do whatever he wants and inflicts on them whatever he wants to inflict at any given point in time. We have a God that when we're out of relationship with him is constantly working to what? Restore the relationship. That's what this is. 
I have a people that I've been watching and I see that they are afflicted and that they are oppressed. And Moses, the burning bush experience, do you know what this is summoning? Moses immediately was going, ah, mountaintop, it's holy ground. Moses is like, we're stepping into the Garden of Eden again. I'm literally communing. He just told me his name, it's Yahweh. This just isn't another God. This just isn't another being. This is the one. This is the God of revelation, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. There's a separation here. This, that you see, every other God has someone that they look up to. Every other Elohim, every other unseen person, whether it's Satan, whether it's a third of the angels that rebelled, every other unseen deity, guess what? They have a greater deity that's over them. And he's Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. And so Moses realizes that the place that he's standing is literally a place that's so powerful, it would end his existence if he got too close. Do you, have you ever reckoned with the thought that the Lord wants to be with you. Other deities like Satan that have rebelled, that are so proud, that are obsessed with their own power, listen to me, church. They have proven the fact that pride and arrogance and separation from God only ends badly. And God over and over again has proven that he doesn't just want you doing what you're supposed to do, he wants you doing whatever you're going to do with him. He wants a relationship. What we see here in this burning bush experience is a new Eden. We, we see a retroactive action here where God is saying, I've found a workaround, and it's the law. I've found a way for you to live and, and work and breathe and do life within the law, that you'll be able to have a relationship with me. You'll be able to bear my name again. And we'll get into that. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Moses has questions. I hope you're seeing this burning bush experience for what it really is. This is the first time in the chapter that the Lord reveals his divine name, which is incredibly significant. But Moses still says, number one, here's this question. Who am I? You see, that's what this generation, I think, wants to know more than anything. They're asking the question, who am I? Why do I exist? Why am I on this planet? I'm not, I'm not comfortable in my own skin. I'm not comfortable with the way I look, so I'm going to change it. I'm not comfortable with the way I act. I'm not comfortable with the way other people see me. Does anybody know this is a struggle in 2023? This is, I mean, this is a thing. But guess what? It was a thing for Moses. One of the greatest patriarchs of the children of Israel in Scripture, in all of Scripture, the, the guy who received the Ten Commandments directly from Yahweh himself. He goes, who am I? So let me, let me just help you with something. If you're struggling with your identity this morning, it's okay. If Moses didn't know the answer to that question and you don't know the answer to that question, it's going to be all right. And I'm not your mama and I'm not your daddy unless you're my child and you're in here. <laughs> then I am. Sit up straight. No, I'm kidding. 
I ain't your mama and your daddy. I don't know what kind of baggage you've been through. I know we all got it. But for whatever reason, as you seek to figure out who you are, I just want to let you in on a little secret. You ready? I want to let you in on how God handled Moses's identity crisis. This could be the most powerful thing I've read in a long time when I read the scripture this week. Remember, Moses looks in the mirror and he sees a what? An Egyptian. I don't want to look like this anymore. I don't want to act like that anymore. I feel differently on the inside. What do I do? And God shows up and God says, I'm God. I'm not just the office of, I'm Yahweh. I'm the supreme being of the entire universe and I want you. And Moses, Moses says, God, who am I? Here's what God didn't say to Moses. Well, you're the sharpest tack in the box. You're the best tool in the shed I got. You see what you did with the injustice? You set it straight. You're my only chance. Did God say any of that to him? Did God say one thing about what Moses did? Come on, help me. Did he? Yes or no? He didn't. When we ask this question today, when we have a young person comes to us, maybe when you are in the quiet and everybody else is asleep and you're laying there awake at night and you just think to yourself, who am I? And the thought rises up in you. You're a a good person. You're a good salesman. You're a good business owner. You're a good dad. You're a good whatever it is. Don't you know how uh, you have all these abilities? And if you talk to somebody about it, they say, you're a good person. You've done a lot of good things. Maybe your kid, God forbid, comes to you and says, who am I? And and we as parents err on the side of telling them all the things they're good at. Or God forbid, all the things that they're bad at. And we try to define who we are by what we do. The end of that is bitter. The end of that will always leave you wanting more because you're never enough. When everything is based on performance, you'll never find your identity. Here's what God says to him. Watch this. Oh my goodness, this is so good. Look at verse 11. But Moses asked, who am I that I should go? Verse 12, and he answered, I will certainly be with what? With you. When the question arises in your own heart, Who am I, God? Here's how God answers it. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Let me, let me, let me just talk about how significant that is. It ain't about how good you are. Somebody say amen. It ain't about what you've done. It ain't about what you're going to do. You could be the worst of the worst, and God still says, let me explain something to you. I just want to be with you. Let me explain something to you. I am the greatest. I have always been. I always will be, and I will continue forever. There is not one thing you need to do to add anything to the equation of our relationship. I'm not with you because you're good. I'm with you because you are you. Man, how does God deal with the identity crisis? God shows up and sits next to you. Parents, can we just shut up? Can we just stop telling our kids what to do and what not to do and how great they are or how horrible they are? 
And can we just sit in our children's presence and say, I'm just happy to be your dad. I'm just happy to sit with you. I'm just happy to have a meal with you. I'm happy to be in your presence. You don't have to do anything more or be anything less. You can't get rid of me. I know you're going to try one time when you're 12. I know you will. I feel like they're trying already. They're like, <laughs> we show up at jujitsu and, and they're like, dude, you're, I know what they're saying. I know my dad's weird. I know. <laughs> As I like come around and they're with their friends, you know. I'm so embarrassing. I already know that. I'm like the most embarrassing parent. Hi, y'all. Is it bussing in here? I learned a new one this week. Uh, cap and no cap. I learned what that means. Like, that's, that's pretty awesome, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm awful. I know I'm going to embarrass the heck out of them. But it's because I don't care. <laughs> it's like the worst. You know what I'm saying? I am the most embarrassing. But here's what they know. They know I love the heck out of them. And all I want to do is just get next to them. I'm proud of them. Where, where have we messed up in the church? Where we have got some sort of performance thing? Where do problems in the church happen? Problems in the church happen when we start telling other people what they're good and bad at. If you If God ain't concerned about it, then why the heck are you concerned about it? God puts people in positions, whether they're good or bad. Do you understand? The Lord leads people to things. People got to grow. They got to bloom where they're planted. And sweetheart or gentleman, you're probably not there for a reason. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I'll let that sink in. Oh. What is grace? It's I want to be in your presence, not based on what you did, but based on what I did. I've bought and paid for this whole thing, and I just want you to enjoy it. Since you left the garden, I've been looking for an opening. I've been looking for an opening that you and I can get back in good terms. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I'm not concerned about your ability. I'm concerned about you. Y'all need to write this down and think about it this week. I've been sitting in this all week. This ruins kids or this makes them? You understand what I'm saying? This ruins churches or it makes churches. We have to separate performance from identity and performance from relationship. And that's even more vital for Moses because he just went on a war path, did he not? <laughs> he just said a lot of things in order, and the Lord was like, look, I get it. You're going through some stuff. I saw you murder that Egyptian, just saying. <laughs> and you're going to be scared about a snake. Okay. Uh he had to answer the question, and the way he did, he said, look, I just want to, I just, I'm going to be with you. Moses then asks the question, he says, look, number two, he says, God, who are you? If, <laughs> help you with something. If God says to us, I just want to hang out with you, then we all should be honest and go, why? <laughs> why you want to hang out with me? What's the catch? This is strange, because I know who I am. You feel me? If you just want to hang out with me and you're like, you're the God of the universe, there's more interesting people uh, to go hang out with. But God's like, no, I'm going to be with you. That's God's reply. I, it's just you and me. That's the amazing thing about God. God adds a few things to it. He says, uh, here's, what I, here's what I want you to do. 
Because Moses, remember, Moses says, who are you and what are you going to do if they ask me your name? Remember? The Lord reveals my name is Yahweh. What I love about this, verse 16 and 17, he says, I am the one, I am, I am the one who has been watching and I am the one who makes good on his promises. (laughs) When are we going to remember and figure it out that God always is there? No matter how far you run or how hard you try to get away from him, he's still your daddy. And he just wants to hang out with you. He wants you to pray our Abba, our Father. And I know many of you, it's like, I got daddy issues. I don't even want to use that word, Father, Daddy. I've erased that from my vocabulary. Uh Uh-uh. You've always had a good father. Always. Even when you didn't on this earth. And that's, look, I think the enemy has done more to erase fathers from society for that very reason. Because he knows that's the entrance to everlasting life. And if he can shut the door, if he can get you in your mind saying, I don't want to hang out with dad, then you'll shut him out. But let me help you with something. As the Egyptians were terrorizing and oppressing a people, God was always watching. He always, he told Moses, he says, while you're going through it, guess what? I've always been there. My promises never faded. They were always real. Regardless of this generation or the next, my promise still stands. Great is my faithfulness. Moses says, what if they don't believe me or obey me? And you know the story. Throw the staff down. Take your hand. Put it in your cloak. Here's what I'm saying. Moses was a shepherd. He needed the staff to do his job. When we sit in God's presence, let me help you with something, church. You may be sitting here this morning and you're like, nah. Number one, this is too simple. Number two, like, I've never gotten anything from sitting in God's presence. Well, then there's probably more things there. If you're sitting in God's presence and you're not getting anything out of it, then there might be anger present in his presence. There might be distrust. There might be unforgiveness, a lack of repentance. Other things can get in the way of that moment, right? But when it's just you and God, ordinary things become extraordinary. A staff becomes a tool God uses. Your hand becomes a sickness that God can heal. I think we've missed the boat on this. Some of you get sick and some of you are healed and that whole thing happens without the Lord even being talked about. The Lord gives us a miracle And our staff becomes a snake, figuratively speaking. He makes a way. He provides. You prayed and he he answered it. The Lord is ready to come into the natural world and do something supernatural. You just have to be in relationship with him. And when you are, that stuff is ready to happen. And here's the thing. Our kids have a lack of faith. Because we as parents haven't been pointing out all those miracles along the way. Why? Because we haven't been looking for it. Moses says, what am I going to do? I mean, you're asking me to lead a whole people out of a much stronger nation. And God says, yeah, you see that staff right there? Might look like a staff, but I can make it into whatever I want. Are you getting the picture? 
when you get in God's presence, little is much when God is in it. The miracle is right in front of you. But the only way it happens is if you're in his presence. The importance of finding your identity in Jesus is really a matter of life and death. All of the excuses that we put in the way, the Lord will redeem each one of them and use him for his good. Moses had to get to the place where he accepted his assignment. Will you take the journey? Will you accept the assignment? When was the last time you were in God's presence? You say, I'm really wondering what my true identity really is. I'm trying to find purpose in my life. All I do good is the bad things that I shouldn't do. Look, that all can change just like that. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.